Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 136. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, Casper, and Audible. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Buonasera, Mike. Oh, wow. And Mr. Stephen Hackett, hello. How are you? Howdy, y'all. How oh, howdy, y'all. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, we have a big show today. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, boy, howdy. This is the second time uh, in a couple of weeks, so we have been rewriting the outline furiously right up until we hit record. <laughs> because Minutes before. Yeah. Because uh, Apple's got some news. We're going to get to that, but first we uh, have to follow the book of order, and that means follow-up comes first. And if you are... I have a here- question for you, actually. Is there any news that Apple could give... Hmm. That would make you assume the fault, like the order, like you would just like throw it out of the window. We've skipped follow up in the past. Uh, I think mostly on shows that I'm not on. So what if what if Apple brings back the Newton and the message mm. pad, that kind of stuff? I feel like for Stephen, yeah. that's follow up though. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the ultimate fo- follow up from 1996. <laughs> that's, all right, fine. Uh, so yeah, so follow up. Uh, we have to follow the book of order. And if you are hearing this once the show is live, sorry, live listeners, you have to wait a little bit longer. Uh, But if you're listening to this, if you download this episode, you are listening to it right now, you should go to the show notes. And the first link is a link to the WWDC meetup tickets. Uh, They're up now. As we spoke about last week, they are free. It is an all ages event. Bring an ID if you want a beer. If you don't want a beer or you are not a drinking age, totally fine. Come hang out. Uh, we will be at the San Jose Museum of Textiles, which is a super cool venue right around the corner from the conference center. It's about a six-minute walk. Most of that is walking around the conference center itself from the front door. <laughs> uh, the conference center is huge. Like Google Maps, it's, it's like a whole block. But mm-hmm. uh, So we're super excited to uh, be doing this event, um, and you should go get a ticket. They're going to go fast. So if you are still listening to me and you haven't clicked that link yet, go click the link. Yeah, there will be a waiting list. Um, you can put yes. your name down, and if anything changes, we won't be able to get you in. But um, if you didn't sign up for the mailing list last week, like we told you, then you may, you probably won't get a ticket, and you should have listened to what we said last week. Yeah, that always is a listen to all of you. Always listen. Mm-hmm. All right, so we we have uh, a little follow up, mostly around uh, workflow, as you might imagine. And uh, listener William wrote in to say the case was made on the podcast while workflow needs to merge with Apple. But what about the other other way around? Why does Apple need workflow? Yes, they're acquiring some great developers, but surely they could do that without buying the app. Uh, so Federico, drop some knowledge on us. Well, I think the main point here is that, yes, Apple can find great engineers everywhere, but sometimes it's more about you know acquiring the talent from a startup it is not just about the technical skills of the engineers that you're hiring. It is more about getting people with skills and with a vision to join your company. Yeah. Um, because Apple could have found, you know, um, some some iOS engineers who are capable of writing widgets and, you know, creating a framework for extensions quite possibly anywhere. Um, but to get the people who were able to think of something completely new, and especially the people who had both the skills and the vision to put together the crazy idea that is the content graph engine, that is remarkable. You know, those people, uh, Ari and Karan and and uh, and uh, Nick, uh, the original founding team of Workflow, uh, they came up 
out of the blue with this idea of creating an engine that is capable of taking a bunch of different formats, like images and text and PDFs, whatever, taking whatever is available and translating it to different compatible formats. And, you know, you don't find those people just, you know, around the corner. You, you, you need to go scout that kind of company. You need to go find that kind of talent. And so I think there's a difference between, you know, there's a hundreds of amazing engineers at Apple. But I think the difference this time is you want a company where people with the technical skills also have the the you know they they went the extra mile because they had a vision and because they they had a clear goal and they can help you now as part of the company execute on a on a vision because they have those ideas and they have those you know they have that drive that motivation to make it happen uh and it's quite telling you know if we follow the argument that why does apple need engineers from workflow specifically when they could just find engineers anywhere um why uh to that i could reply why didn't apple come up with workflow in the first place um if they could have found you know resources inside the company without workflow so i think there's a mutual benefit uh for the workflow team to be able to expand and to be able to say now we can do workflow as you know a system feature and for apple to have these people with a vision and to put them in charge and say, now you have an infinite budget, now you have all the resources you want, you work for us, but we can actually work together you know, with different teams and we can make you do some pretty cool stuff that wasn't possible before. That's yeah. my, you know, yeah. being optimistic, but I think there's a, you know, it's not just like workflow needs Apple, Apple also needs workflow. Why would you build it yourself when there are like incredibly capable people who have already done it? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I think part of it is Apple is, you know, seeing, we're going to talk about this a lot later, but Apple is seeing what's going on in the community and they see that this app and this, like, this has become a hub for this sort of work. And so why, right, if they come in and do their own thing and destroy workflow, you know, through their own utility, that's not great for those users, right? But if you can bring it in and fold it in, it's kind of best for everybody, I think. So mm -hmm. totally agree with all of that. Uh, if you did not read uh, Federico's workflow article, uh, it's up. It went up uh, after the show last week about the future of workflow. And in it, Federico, I think you did a really good job at outlining sort of um, a handful of different scenarios that could come about mm -hmm. and your feelings on each one. Uh, we tried to do that on the show, but I think you were much more clear on it uh, in the article. So if you haven't read that and you're interested in it, go check it out. It'll be in the show notes. While we're talking about a website named Mac Stories, there's also a link and follow-up uh, about autosleep. We spoke about this, you know, whenever we were talking about sleep tracking a couple of months ago. Uh, autosleep is an app that you don't have to tell it you're going to sleep. Um, yeah. It kind of looks at your motion information and like there's a bunch of toggles you can set and it kind of figures it out. Uh, and we complained about the user interface. Uh, 4.0 shipped like Friday, I think, the end of last week. Uh, the interface is is much improved. It still has a. It's still very busy. It still is doing a lot of stuff. It is still the same app, but I think the developers have done a pretty good job of cleaning it up. Um, but I've realized when this news came up that I've kind of fallen out of the habit of tracking my sleep, and I'm not really sure sure why. You know, I've got the the 
the Apple Watch 2, like the battery life is fine. I've got an app that I like. I use uh, Sleep Plus Plus by friend of the show, underscore David Smith. It's a great app. Uh, I just kind of stopped doing it. And so I'm going to try to get back into that habit. I don't really know what happened. And I was curious, do the two of you, or Federico, do you at least still, are you still tracking your sleep on this thing? Yeah, every day. Um, I keep my watch on every night. I charge it when I wake up or when I'm cooking lunch. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm assembling this uh, catalog of sleep times in uh, in auto sleep, which with a side benefit that yes, auto sleep the 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 visual you know aspect it got much better, but I still prefer to have this aggregate dashboard of HealthKit data uh, and locations from the Moves app in Gyroscope. Um, gyroscope is excellent, and it reads uh, sleep data captured by AutoSleep uh, thanks to HealthKit. So I use the wa- I wear the watch at night because there's AutoSleep on it. When I wake up, I get a notification on my phone that AutoSleep worked and it captured my sleep. I can just confirm that. Actually, most of the time I don't even open the app. I just see the notification and move on, and then. Every couple of weeks, I keep an eye on my progress uh, with the gyroscope dashboard, which is both on the iPhone and on the web. It's excellent. The design is amazing, and uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I have the pro features. Uh, I, I really do recommend gyroscope if you're unhappy with the, with the interface of apps like AutoSleep and you know the Apple's health app on on the iPhone. Gyroscope is much better. Cool. Mike, do you want to tell us about uh, our friend G. McDonald and her new job? I do. Um, this is something that I wanted to mention. We've been talking about kind of following the uh, Mantum Reese's microblog Kickstarter campaigns. It's been going through, and uh, Mantum posted an update a week or two ago. Um, as you mentioned, as you remember, we mentioned that he had a stretch goal to hire a community manager to kind of help him set the tone and guidelines for the service. He met that. Um, and they've announced, well, Manton has announced that Jim McDonald of AppCamp for Girls fame is going to be coming on board to help him out. And I am so happy about this. Like, Gene is amazing. Manton's amazing. And I think the two of them together are going to make something great. Like, I'm becoming increasingly interested, like, more and more and more with this service. Um, and the idea that Gene's going to be there, like, that just makes me feel good. Um, so congratulations to Gene and Manton, and I'm I'm super excited to see what Microblog uh, will be like when it launches. I think that's coming up pretty soon as well. Yeah, yeah. I got the email uh, that uh, the username registrations with some features uh, should be available soon. So I'm I'm really excited to check this out, and I think it's a it's an amazing combo of yep. two of my favorite people on the internet. Uh, you know, joining totally. forces for this project. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, Jean is great. I think all, all three of us just love her. She's awesome. And uh, if if this is the type of decision-making Manton is going to be making with this product, then I'm all in. I'm, I'm yeah. really excited to see it. Yeah, so there you go. I'm very, I'm very pleased about that. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased about that. So congratulations to everyone. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by Hover. When you have the great idea knocking around your brain for that next project that you want to put on the internet, you need to give that site a great domain name. Why else would you do that? What are you going to do? If you have a terrible domain name, who's going to want to go to your website? Nobody. That's who. You need to find the perfect domain, and that is ridiculously easy to do with 
Hover. They have over 400 domain extensions that you can use to end your domain with. You have all of the classics, you know, your .co's, your .com's, and the new extensions as well. Um, I think I saw there's a .dog now. Um, Perfect. You know, if, that, if that's what you need, you can <laughs> go and do all of that stuff. But they have everything you're looking for over at Hover, all of the great, all the great extensions. Uh, and once you get your domain, you can use it to get a, a more kind of on-brand or professional email address as well, right? So maybe you're looking to get a nice fancy email address. These domains don't have to just be for websites. You could get a really sweet email address with one of these new domain extensions as well. And it'll work with whatever email programs you're currently using. Hover also offers who is privacy for free on all eligible domains. They have volume discounts, so the more domains you have in your account, the more of a discount Hover will automatically apply to your order. They have so many great tools and features. They are the only domain registrar that you should be using. They are the best. Find the perfect domain for your idea. Go to hover.com slash connected and get 10% off your first purchase. That's hover.com slash connected to find out more and get 10% off your first purchase. Hover, domain names for your ideas. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So uh, let's get into the, the big story today. This morning on April 4th, uh, we all woke up to a series of articles. Uh, John Gruber, Daring Fireball, Matt Panzerino, TechCrunch, BuzzFeed had a couple. Uh, Apple invited some some of these journalists to Cupertino uh, to sit down with them inside the, and I want to get the name right because this place sounds like an amazing wonderland, Apple's Product Realization Lab for the Mac. So... Uh, I just want to work in a place that has realization in the name. I think that that sounds super. Well, you could you could fun. change your name on your house to the podcast realization. Uh, yeah, build environment. That's what I'm going to call the <laughs> environment. That's what I'm going to call the studio from now on. The, Great, the PRE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Perfect. Uh, so basically, the TLDR of all of this is that there is a new Mac Pro coming. It will not be this year, but when it comes out, it will. And embrace a modular design like the old one. Uh, there's going to be a quote pro external display for this machine. Don't really know what that means, except that it was mentioned. We're going to see new iMacs later this year with models specifically geared to the pro market. And the 2013 Mac Pro is still on sale, but the more expensive SKUs have come down to replace lower ones. So you're still getting a 2013 machine with like Thunderbolt 2 and the same design, but you get more of that machine. Uh, for your money now, but it's still on sale. And what I think is the most important news, and uh, Panzerina pointed this out, I didn't see it anywhere else, that in the lobby of this uh, building, Apple has a, a collection of Mac hardware, including a 20th anniversary Mac. And really, that's what I want to talk about. No, it's not no, the most It's this really is not, not the, the most main important point. thing. It's, it's not the not, topic we're discussing. How can you read all of this? All of this information, and that is your takeaway. Your key point is that yeah. they have like a performer in the lobby or a Tam in the lobby. Nobody needs to know this. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know why Panzerino mm. thought it was important enough to mention. I think he was writing it just for you. I, I think I, so. I can't understand. I think why. so. Uh, so yeah. So so there's uh, so there's that. So we can get into the tech stuff, but I think what the three of us are, are more interested in, at least today, because the tech stuff's a little light on details, is like the huge break. And Apple's mm. normal press coverage or, you know, press relations. This is a, a big change. This is a, a huge departure from their their regular status quo. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, Apple is breaking with tradition, which is uh, one of Apple's uh, guiding uh, 
ideas in the past has been we're going to show you the product once it's ready and pretty close to shipping to customers. And instead, now they're effectively they're making promises. Uh, even if I, I feel pretty confident about, you know, Apple's ability to actually execute, you know, because they never do this. So once they do this, you know, it's the real deal. Um, um, you know, it, it is a, a huge change from the past. And I was reading Gruber's uh, articles and I was uh, article and was reading Panzerino on TechCrunch and they both sort of highlighted how Apple didn't really say we're sorry that we, <laughs> you know, we screwed up, but the subtext was there um, to, I mean, uh, at some point, I think Federighi said we designed ourselves into a corner with the previous Mac Pro design. And so to have this kind of, you know... Um, I don't want to don't want to say that Apple is trashing the trash can sort of you know sort of like a metaphysical garbage disposal idea uh but to be to to see a company that goes out and say look we had this new design we thought it was going to be the way going forward you know with these dual GPUs on this single uh piece in the middle of this circle um, um, you know, it didn't actually pan out because the, the 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 PC industry went in a different direction, and we we were stuck with this design that we couldn't update because we couldn't put a single you know big huge uh, GPU in the middle of this computer. So we eventually we had a bunch of discussions, and Federighi in the TechCrunch piece, I think he said uh, we went back and forth, lots of emotions. Uh, we yeah. went on the arc from you know uh, sort of denial and then acceptance, and eventually we realized we need to redesign this completely and this is what apple is going to do but this is a big change you know to to you know because apple knows that there's a lots of criticism uh for uh you know how they have dealt with the mac pro so far uh sort of ignoring the the line and just being yeah. quiet about it and so to go out and say we know that some people have had many doubts and questions and we want to assure you we're working on this and it's going to be completely different. It's both an admission of defeat in a way, because, of course, the previous design didn't work out. And But it's also, in a way, exciting to see a company that says, we're going to do this. We want to have a better communication with the pro community. And we want to send this message that we're not abandoning the Mac and we're not abandoning the Mac for pro users. It's... Um, it is very exciting from a PR perspective. If only from that perspective, it is it is an exciting change. Yeah, I think the conversation around the existing Mac Pro is is really eye opening, and I think that the quote is that uh, we designed ourselves into a circle. You know, saying that the the architecture of this machine, which is something I will uh, say that I was right about. Um, that that machine didn't work. That for some reason they can't upgrade it the way they want to, and. Again, they're not going to go into the technical details, but I think it's pretty easy to understand, you know, looking at the machine and how it goes together, that the thermals of that machine just can't take more than what's in it, potentially, or they're having trouble to get GPUs to fit into it. They talk to you about, like, the dual GPU design, and uh, it just seems like that idea that the very, like, concept at the heart of the machine was flawed for some reason, and... Uh, I'm glad they've realized that. I think it's fair to say that maybe it took them too long to do this, but I, for one, will take better late than never. That Apple very clearly, and they even say it, you know, very clearly listening to the concerns of their pro users and and the people who make their living on the Mac and at the very top end of the Mac hardware and 
they want to address it. You know, we got some numbers in this, which again is a break from normal. So uh, 80% of Macs sold are laptops, 20% are desktops. Honestly, and Gruber said this too, I'm surprised it's not 85, 15. 20% is bigger than I thought it would be for the desktop. But of the 20%, quote, single digit percentage uh, buy the Mac Pro. Now that may be that because the Mac Pro now is super old and janky. And so that number has sunk. Will that number rebound? You know, after uh, a new Mac Pro is out, who knows? But what it's showing is that Apple's paying attention to the sm- you know these very small clusters of customers. Uh, and the third number they shared, which maybe was the most surprising to me out of all of them, is that thirty percent of Mac users open a Pro level application on a weekly basis, and fifteen percent open it, like I think they said, like on a, a near daily basis. So things like, yeah. you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, Logic, Final Cut, Audition, Premiere, you know, th- these high-end apps that, you know, that, you know, people like me are in all day, uh, 30% of Mac users are using those on a weekly basis. And that is, that's encouraging to me that in this climate of a lot of angst about the Mac and, you know, are, I think that a lot of people have felt, um, and I will count myself in them to a degree that I am part of a dying breed, right? That I am mm, doing like mm-hmm. heavy duty professional audio and video work on my Mac and the world is is passing me by. And A, like that's silly, right? Uh, B, it's not really true. And C, Apple knows knows those things, right? That it knows that there are people doing this. And, and you know, the iPad can race ahead and the iPad can take over uh, notebooks and take over a lot of use for a lot of people. And that's great. And I encourage it. I think it's awesome. And the two of you are leading the way on that. Uh, you're a, you're a, like the, the front of the pack, you know, charging it. But there are people who, for whatever reason, either it's due to habit or that the iPad can't do the things we need it to do yet that are that still re- require things like high-end iMacs and Mac Pros. And Apple's listening to that. And out of all of this stuff today, new hardware stuff, the fact that it was in this weird secret, you know, uh, lab that, that you know is like a, a bouncy castle for nerds. Like <laughs> the, the the core message I walk away with this is that Apple listens to its users, and that for all of the you know the hand wringing that has been done over the last couple of years over this machine, that it hasn't been for nothing. Someone on Twitter uh, mentioned me a couple minutes ago and said, "Hey, that's great." But if we hadn't complained, would Apple just let the Mac Pro die? I mean, I don't know that or not. I guess it's impossible to know. But my guess is that that people sharing their thoughts on this uh, only benefited those people in the long run, right? That if 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 the Mac Pro had been the 2013 Mac Pro had been a failure, and I think we can all say I think Apple is saying to a degree that it was, and no one complained, then they don't have to replace the Mac Pro. But because people shared their thoughts on it. And approached Apple mm-hmm. again and again, saying, "Look, we need more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need a machine that we can depend on." And Apple doing something about that is just like thumbs up for me. Yeah. Like, I, I, I appreciate yeah. the honesty, I appreciate the transparency, and I think there's a level of humility in these quotes that yeah. is refreshing. Yeah, and I think from um, from an ideological point of view, there's a sort of a uh, I, I can see Steve Jobs in this. You know, to to be able to say. Uh, we still want to try bold things, and we we don't want to dwell on what didn't work, and we want to move on from you know mistakes we made and try something new and listen to people. I think it's a, it's a very 
humble to to say we you know we were wrong and the industry moved in a different directions and we were unable to uh, to to keep making that product uh, at the best of our possibilities. Uh, but there's also from a strategic point of view. Um, even if the you know uh, Mac Power users, you could say, are the literally the one percent uh, <laughs> for Apple. Uh, it is important to to see this company that wants to keep making the most powerful computer that they can possibly make. It's funny because you know there uh, when Tim Cook goes out and says um, we think there's lots of potential for AR. Uh, we think AR is the future. And when you see Federighi in this interviews today saying uh, whether, you know, we need the capabilities for 3D graphics, we need it, some people need it for VR, other people need it for video. So uh, it is important, it is strategic for Apple to keep making this computer, even if, if only because that 1% or 5% or 9%, whatever it is below the 10% threshold that needs this computer, those people usually make art or they make services or they make infrastructures upon which millions of other people rely on either for entertainment or for productivity so there's a this discrepancy you know the the one to nine percent of people making games movies services scientific programs that those benefits help millions of people Yep. And so I think it is important to make that computer because even if it doesn't make a lot of money and even if it doesn't appeal to millions of people, it fosters an environment where millions of others, including us, can yep. reap the benefits of stuff that happens because of that computer. And one of the key things about this, right, is like, look, we've spoken about this. This is a small percentage. Like some of these people are a percentage of a percentage of a percentage. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been shown over the last couple of months that that those people were the ones that are the most vocal because they tend to care the most, right? They're the yeah. most invested. Sure. So, like Apple doing this is a good sign. But what's even more is something that Shell was saying about they're trying to find ways to do this stuff better, to communicate better with the pro market. And I guess this is step one of that, but this is exactly what this market needs. I think for some of this pro stuff, especially this Mac Pro, it's not go- look. It's not going to be the sexiest thing ever, right? Like it's not going to be the thing that makes the front page. Speak so, for yourself, big boy. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but like you know, it's not going to be. It's not going to be on the front page of the New York Times when they no. unveil it, right? Like no. the iPhone would be. So. The secrecy thing, I don't think is as important here. And really, as we've seen, it actually just serves to harm. And if they're more open with this market, the market can feel more comfortable. Because when you're in a situation where like, you don't know if your platform's going to be updated, then you maybe have to make some difficult decisions. And Apple can clearly understand this. And they've obviously been wrestling internally about how to deal with it. Because this is a huge break from the norm. Like This isn't just saying oh we've got great stuff coming in the future they have given actual details about what this computer might look like calling it modular means something right it -hmm. means new design and they don't talk about new design but they have today and i think that that is a very important thing you know shiller said like just a kind of a quote from him we're really serious about the idea that we want to figure out how to better communicate with pros we understand that the jobs rely on this stuff they make important decisions about this stuff they need to hear from us it's great 
It's really, really good news. It's, encour- it's encouraging. And I, I, I hope, I mean, like looking forward from today, right, the question is, can they do that? You know, can even can they build a machine that they, you know, they, they can update on a regular basis? So what he says, right, we want to be modular. We want to build a platform that we can update on a regular basis. Um, even the cheese grater struggled at that at times. Um, and I I just hope that they can make that work. Um, I think that today, if you look at some other stuff Apple's done, right, talking to Gruber on the talk show, having some of these these like in-depth product interviews, like they have been moving this direction, but, to, but today feels like a big jump forward down that line. Yeah. And I hope that they can continue that. And the fact that Phil Schiller, like, See, I mean, he seems to be like the Mac cheerleader on the executive team. I think him and Federighi care about it the most. They're in this meeting right there. The ones having the quotes. Anytime there's Mac news, Schiller or Federighi are out there in front talking about it. Uh, that's encouraging, and I think that we will continue to see that. Uh, but at the same time, I hope that they don't end up in a situation again where they where they have to do this, right? Or, I mean, their back was against the wall on this, and it's up to Apple to be proactive enough. Or in this case, to build a machine that's flexible enough that they they, they don't get stuck in the situation again. A common reaction that I'm already seeing on Twitter and that is fascinating to me is a lot of people saying that it's uh, that this is not a great announcement because it's too late and it's still an embarrassment. So I don't understand how some people can be both unhappy. If Apple does nothing, and still unhappy if Apple does something. So whatever yeah. they did with the Mac Pro, still wrong. So I don't understand that these people, they probably want, I don't know, Johnny Ive going door to door to apologize to them personally, or <laughs> maybe Schiller setting himself on fire, uh, some big apology. For, for some people, there's nothing. If they would have turned around today with that product and said it's available today... It's still people still would have said it was it's too little too late, you know, like okay, I'm really happy that this is here, it's yeah. awesome, but it's too late. Like there is a certain subset of people that are frustrated enough that they're not gonna be happy with anything that happens. I mean, my feeling on this is like what more I don't really think you can ask much more than this, right? Like you can ask for the product to exist, but it doesn't. So the best thing that you can have is Apple effectively coming hat in hand to the yeah. pro- to the professional Mac users. And giving them details that they've never had before, which surely we find interesting, right? Like, if you care, you find it interesting. Mm -hmm. But also to kind of... They apologized. Like, this is an apology. Yeah. Like, they actually... The word sorry is used in this. Yes, it Um, is. They they say that they're sorry, like, that this happened. They've given clear details. They've explained the situation. And then they provided a way forward. Like, uh, this is exactly what you would want. I mean... There are other questions about other product lines, right? And and what is happening with those? Um, I, I think uh, was it Matt Panzerino asked about the Mac Mini. I think it was John, but but Paxowski. Paxowski, yeah. how do you say yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think it's Paxowski, and they were like, "Yeah, we're like, you know, it's different. This isn't <laughs> shush, <laughs> right?" It was effectively Keep what they quiet. said. You there? This is what you want to talk about the Mac Mini? What's why are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> um but th- there is th- this is clearly this is clearly a good sign for the people that need this information and and I would argue I would argue that this is the one that needs to be addressed the most the professional mac user base because it's the most entrenched it's the one that's hardest to move um it is the one where the the people that use those machines 
would have a tougher time finding replacements um, that that would meet their requirements and needs. So I think that Apple has done the right thing here. But they did address the iPad. Um, and it, it was really funny. Like, should I, should I just read this, this, this quote from Federighi? Yes. All right. We certainly see, as I know you do, a wide spectrum of views expressed in internet forums. What forums? Do they actually mean like For- message boards or like in different places? Anyway, in internet forums about all things, including our products. I think it's not entirely unreasonable and it's understandable. There's some people who love their Macs so much and see something new that Apple is talking about in the form of iPad, creating in some of them a sense of insecurity. What does this mean? There's this thing I really care about, and I don't want to see it go away. I see this other new thing on the scene. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to the product I love? <laughs> he should be a blogger. <laughs> he should be. So I understand how that will come out in the form of concern that this is happening, but this is not happening. The Mac is, we say it over and over, we're saying it again here, a huge part of our future, we're deeply invested in it. Good quote. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's a very accurate description of what's going on. Thanks for listening, Craig. What goes on on internet forums uh, yep. about all things? Uh, yes, uh, the internet forums about all things suddenly have uh, <laughs> you components. You should see those mountain bike forums. <laughs> they won't stop complaining about the Mac. It's crazy. Uh, have you ever been to um, the uh, all things forums? It's a very great place to hang out. Uh, they talk about all things. <laughs> Imagine Everything that. is in there. It's all in there. All the uh, great things. It mm. does raise a good point, though, uh, about... Um, Apple being committed to either one thing or the other. So it's either the Mac or the iPad. It doesn't help that Tim Cook says, you know, we believe the iPad is the future of computing. Yeah. So I be- I believe there's a, you know, we, we got to fall somewhere in the middle here. Um, maybe the iPad in, in the sense of there's this screen that you hold. And for the masses, it is the future of, com- of computing. But there's also the future where, you know, I create programs for, uh, you know, uh, I design the architecture behind the Tesla engine. I, I need to have this powerful computer that makes me do these complex calculations. Or I'm an architect and I need 3D graphics. Uh, there's also the argument for those people that the Mac is the future and that a professional Mac is the future. Uh, so I think, you know, it, even if the with the generic description that he gave of what goes on on the on the internet forums about all things, it it is a good point of you know it doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, we you know I'm reading between the lines here, of course, but it's Apple saying we believe the Mac is here to say. We also believe the iPad is the future, but it one doesn't exclude the other. They're not mutually exclusive. Whereas yeah. I think a lot of people see them as well. One is gonna die. So what's it going to be? I, and I don't think Apple sees it that yeah, way. And we only know this when they tell us. Right. We're based right. on, you know, Tim, Tim Cook goes out and say, well, the iPad is the future. Uh, millions of people are leaving PCs for the iPad. Well, okay then. Uh, it's it's a complex discussion. Uh, one that is best, you know, ha- best to have that discussion on the internet forums, I'm sure. Of all things. About all things. So, so Federica, I know your answer. Someone's going to ask Mike, uh, Michael, is this a computer you'd be interested in when it eventually ships? (laughs) I don't think I'd need it, Um, especially if they're looking at making the iMac even more powerful, right? Because they spoke about that, that they're working on new iMac configurations, and some of them will be to address pro users. Like, 
that iMac is going to be all the iMac I'm ever going to need, right? Even if I would want that. Like whenever I come to upgrade my iMac, which is I reckon a couple of years away at least at this point because this thing is fine, um, the most power that I'm probably going to need will be served in that machine, right? Like I, I'm not going to need the modular stuff. Like my iMac right now is handling everything great. And the things that I do, I can't imagine there being huge jumps Sure. In like maybe video or audio, right? Like that, that I'm going to need something which is insanely powerful. I expect that whatever they do to the iMac line is going to be enough for me and the commitment to continue updating that line and to continue making it stronger and more powerful. That's probably all I'm ever going to need. What about you? So uh, I, like you, am on a 5K Retina iMac, uh, which I love. It's a great machine. It's probably probably one of my favorite computers I've ever owned. And, you know, again, I expect to have years out of this machine. Uh, I should for what we paid for it. But uh, I do wonder, you know, when the time comes, uh, what what I would look at. I like the all-in-one approach. I like that I don't have a lot of stuff spewed all over my desk. I don't have something on the floor, you know, with fans in it. That's all just on the desk, nice and neat. I'm very interested in what a, quote, professional iMac could look like. We've spoken about this at length you know, what would this mean? What would Apple include there? Uh, My guess is today that we look we see something beyond quad core, but it's still, you know, sort of consumer oriented processors, you know, maybe something with a really nice GPU option. Uh, But again, like you, I don't think I would need something more. I mean, my iMac now is great and I'm in, you know, these professional applications all the time. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, when this comes out that I won't look at it, right? Or that when it's time to replace this iMac that I want to look at Mac Pro versus the iMac. But I think there are definitely people who do need, you know, every ounce of power or who just want the modularity, right? That you can put in drives and put in cards and stuff. And for my needs now, the iMac meets them. But at the very least, I, I will be happy to have options in the future. When I bought this iMac, there was no other option, right? I was not going to yeah, buy... Yeah. Uh, a three-year-old Mac Pro, there's no way. Uh, so at the very least, I will be glad that when I need to buy a machine again in three years, that there will be options available. Like that alone is enough for me today. So yeah, I'm um, I'm on a 2011 MacBook Air, and I'm definitely not buying a Mac Pro. <laughs> what do we Should have to I? do to just get Should you to buy any any computer? I mean, w- really, would you anything? want me to buy a Mac Pro? Sure, I mean, I don't care what you buy as long as it's something. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> so we've reached this point. We reached, okay, okay, fine, yeah. fine. How many keys have fallen off the uh, uh, at this point, three? Mm, uh, but I good. should say, I, I, I have a plan. I, I told you guys, I have a plan. I, I cannot spoil this plan because it's gonna ruin a bunch of surprises. Uh, but uh, I have a plan, it doesn't involve the Mac Pro, but um. Uh, I think I'm finally in a few months leaving the, you know, these. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. This computer behind this c- sad, broken, dilapidated. Yeah, yes, probably like a like a poor animal lying on the ground. It's it's oh. very sad to watch. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's happening. It it's not gonna be a Mac Pro, but it's happening. What are you, what are you gonna get? You can't leave us hanging. I don't know. That's the point. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, we'll put that in follow-up. It's going to be a lo- long-term follow-up, Steven. Long it's good. Term. Just for you. Just for you. LTFU. 
This episode of Connected is brought to you by Casper, the company focused on sleep that has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper has created an award-winning mattress that their engineers have spent thousands of hours developing. As a sleek design, it's delivered in an impossibly small box so you can get it up the stairs. And they also now, Casper, can offer you adaptive pillows and soft breathable sheets as well so you can kit your entire sleeping experience in Casper goods. Their mattress is made of supportive memory foam. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce, and it's designed to be breathable so it can help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. You won't be too hot and you won't be too cold. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. They are designed and developed in America, and the reason that they can sell them at such a great price is that they have cut the hassle and costs of dealing with showrooms, and they are passing those savings directly to you now, Mr. Stephen Hackett, can you tell me one thing that you love about your Casper mattress? I love, and this seems silly, but I'm, I'm deadly serious. I love that it has handles on it. Uh, I just recently <laughs> helped a, a family member at their house, and you know, you go and you get roped into doing chores uh, for your parents, even though you're a grown man. And one of those was to help uh, turn some mattresses around in someone's house. And these mattresses didn't have handles, so you're, like, struggling and falling over. And the Casper one is super easy. You just pick it up, and you can turn it around if you want to and move it around if you, you know, move into another room. Handles. Everything should have handles, Mike. Everything. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns to the U.S., Canada, and now the U.K. as well with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and they'll refund you everything. Look, Casper understands that to truly understand if, if a mattress is right for you, you need to actually sleep on it. You're going to be spending such a long time on that thing. You want to make sure that it fits well, it fits you, it fits your life. That's why they give you a 100-night home trial. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash connected and using the code connected. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, okay, so we're going to follow up an Apple announcement. Well, an Apple thing. I don't know. It was an announcement. What would you call that? What what we just had? What would you call that? An Apple what? Press? An, an Apple? An Apple? Uh, Roundtable? 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 Maybe. We're going to follow know. up some interesting Apple news by talking about Samsung's new phones. This Perfect. is <laughs> this is very related follow up. Okay. Now these these phones are are very interesting to me. So mm. uh, last week Samsung announced the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S8 Plus. Now, ladies and gentlemen of the connected audience, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of some specifications here. Ooh. So these two phones come with what Samsung is calling the Infinity Display, um, which basically means super slim bezels and it kind of drips off the side, right? So it like it's got, you got it on the front and it goes around the corners. They're calling it the Infinity Display. It reminds me of Infinity Pools. You know those pools that look like they don't have any walls on them and you could just swim straight off? It's like one of those. The S8 has a 5.8-inch screen and the S8 Plus has a 6.2-inch screen but the both of them like the actual physical size of the phones is around comparable to the iphone sizes like the 7 and the 7 plus so they have way bigger screens for the body size that they're in because of the infinity display and i just want to put this to bed super super quick samsung has been using plus as a way to name models of their galaxy phones since at least 2013 i saw a lot of people being like ho 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 they even copied apple's name no they've been using the plus name for a long time i just wanted to say that I just wanted to say that. The phones have an 18.5 by 9 aspect ratio, 
which is an aspect ratio I have never heard before. Um, these phones are really tall. And they do a few things in video. They kind of black bar the sides or you can zoom them in. And there's stuff that I like about what you can do with some UI. Like when you see any of these phones, these phones that have these tall screens now, which is a thing that's happening um, within the camera, right? So they, they don't change like the size of the image, but you can get more information. You can see previous images and stuff like that, like on the screen, because they have more kind of space to play with. There's no physical home button. It's pressure sensitive just in the home button area. It uses haptics kind of like force touch. So you press on the screen harder and then you go back to home and you feel it. Um, it has IP68 water and dust resistance, wireless charging capable, and has a headphone jack. Are we still I, talking about that? Really? Well, it has it though. But <sighs> it has it. You know? Okay. Like, isn't, okay. like, isn't fine, it better fine. to have it than not to have it? Yes. Yes, it is. How how could you argue? Like, it's better to have a headphone jack than not to have a headphone jack. It's still know, is has it Bluetooth. Is it, is it better to have a horse than not have a horse? Oh, if I need on. a horse, if uh, I have like a horse compatible legs that I can plug into. Do you need a headphone jack all the time with your iPhone? When I'm listening to anything outside the house, previously to using Bluetooth, yes. Like it would be okay, great to have fine. it. Okay. It would be nicer to have it than not to have it. I don't lose anything by having it. I only gain. Sure. Okay. Uh, it's an interesting hill to die on. Iris scanning and face scanning <laughs> as additional ways of unlocking your phone. Um, they also have their own assistant called Bixby, which is my new favorite assistant name of mm -hmm. all of the digital assistants, because Bixby sounds like a British butler type character. I imagine a little top hat and a monocle. Bixby. I, I like the sound of Bixby. Sort of um, but they haven't really shown anything of Bixby yet. Um, and apparently all of the demo devices haven't got it on and we need to wait for the reviews, which is not a good sign. <laughs> That's not a good sign. If they're like, oh, no, it's great, but like you can't look at it. Yeah, That's never... It's never a good sign. And they even have a dedicated Bixby button. Yeah. Physical what? button on the phone. <laughs> Why? Which is like, wow, you are really going in. So they are the specifications. So let's talk about some of the stories that surround these phones, right? Mm. Explosions. Explosions. Explosions are, uh, are important and they shouldn't happen. Um, and obviously Samsung has had exploding phone problems um, in the last year and they have really been trying to underscore how important safety and testing is for them it was like one of their top things in the presentation they've been inviting the press to come and see their labs and stuff like that like oh they want to show them how much they test batteries and like what it takes to make their batteries explode so my question to you i will ask you first federico because i know you are in tune with the people Mm. Do you think you. you're yeah. you're like you're you're a man of the people? I'm a man of the people. Do you think that people will forget or no? Will, <laughs> no. Or will, do you think that it will turn people <laughs> off buying the next Samsung phone because the last one exploded? Like genuinely, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a genuine problem. I was on a taxi ride just a few days ago, and uh, I think the taxi driver noticed the amount of uh, accessories, like tech devices, that I had. I have my bag with me. <laughs> Just spreading them all out in the taxi, like just laying them down. Yeah, I was charging my phone. I had my AirPods. It was a bunch of stuff. Uh, so the guy turns and looks at me and it's like, so you're an Apple guy, huh? Like, yeah. And so we start talking about my job and he's like, well, I'm um, the taxi driver says I'm a I'm an Android person myself. I've always liked the uh, the idea that I can tweak Android, that I can use my own SD card. You know, the usual arguments in favor of Android. Um, and then he said, but, you know, I have an old Samsung. Um, he had a Galaxy Note 5, maybe a couple of years ago, really. And then he's like, 
I want to buy the latest one, but man, have you seen that the batteries explode? And, you know, these things people don't forget. So uh, I think tech people are more inclined to forget and forgive than normal people. You know, we're maybe um, more trusting of the ability for people who know technology to fix problems, right? I think we are. We have a fascination for the idea of a tech company that screws up and then invites you to the lab, and, and it's like, look, we have scientists doing cool things to fix the problem, and we're like, oh man, have you seen the research? Look, he's wearing a white coat. He's so he's smart. He's wearing a white man. He's doing science with those batteries. And so we have we have this love for the company that screws up and comes back. It's a very it's a very mm-hmm. tech industry uh you know uh, sort of romantic idea of the company that screws up and then invites the press to the lab with the scientists i mean apple did this you know uh, with mm-hmm. antenna gate they showed people you know the the radio testing uh, tools that they had so we have a fascination for this stuff we're more inclined to forgive and forget i think it's gonna stuck a little longer with people what about you steven yeah i think i think they've got to prove that this new phone is safe and up until this event i think they did a pretty poor job at addressing it i think with this event and like dancy for some others went to korea and like like i said saw the factory saw what was going on all that's good stuff i don't know if it would hurt the sales of this phone as much as it would hurt uh, a new note phone which i mean all all Reports say that there will be a Note 8, and it is crazy to me to think they're going to revive that brand after uh, after what apparently happened. Apparently, they are currently refurbishing Note 7s and putting them back on sale. That Not is a, why. Like, I if, don't know why they're If doing a it. single one of those goes up in smoke, like, mm-hmm. you're screwed. Yep. Uh, but, so all that aside, um, I think with these new phones, by all reports, they're being very conservative with the batteries in these phones. They're not putting as big of batteries as some other phones in this size class have. That may hurt battery life, but I think they're going to play it safe this time. And I, I don't think this, these phones will have any problems. I think that they have solved the problem. And if they haven't, uh, they're, they're, you can't have two phones back-to-back that do this. Like, game over. No. Uh, so I, I have faith that they fixed it. My feeling on this is that um, this phone will not sell as many as it could have, but it will still sell more than enough because it looks so good. It looks mm-hmm. great. It looks. And, and it does I think look great. The fact that they've created something that is so beautiful looking will help them push models because it's going to entice people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just going to take a little while. You know, the, the, the initial sales might be slower, right? Because people are just like waiting and seeing. But I think that they will do okay. Yeah, I'm I'm genuine. Like, like, if I if I was going to buy one of these, right? If I was going to buy one of these, I would maybe like just 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 hold back. Give it a week to warm up. Couple of weeks. Couple (laughs) to warm up. Wow. Couple of weeks and just make sure that it's okay. Yeah. But I would say if if I was in the market for for a phone, like if I was in a like me, not like me, if I was not the person I am, but me knowing technology, if I was in the market for phone, if I was in the Android camp. I would want to buy this because I think it's the best looking phone I have ever seen. It is. Like, it is everything I want my phone to look like. Like the screen just looks incredible. Like incredible. Yeah. Like the hardware design itself is amazing. There are some weird stuff we'll get to in a moment, but like the overall look of it is just superb. And I would be sorely tempted. And I mm-hmm. think it is that f- the fact that lots of people will be tempted by this 
that it will help yeah. them sell, but I don't think they'll sell as many as they could have. And I think by the time they get to like the S9, this won't be a, so much of a problem for them anymore. There will always be people that remember it, right? Like there will always be people that think if you squeeze your iPhone, the, the signal will go down, right? Or like that they all bend. There's always like an amount of people that will always remember <laughs> that these is things. True. That is true. That is true. But, but I think over time... If Samsung continue pushing and pushing and pushing in the right way, in safe ways, then they're going to be able to get through this. And mm-hmm. and and I'm pleased with what they've done with this phone. It is really funny. The silver is called Arctic silver. It's like, and I uh, think you, that is you hilarious. said this uh, sort of. I they, did. They would, they would choose a name that goes against the idea of you know of explosions. Heat. Yes, Ar- Arctic Silver is the name so, of one of those. Arctic, it is pretty, pretty, pretty the opposite of uh, of explosions. Yes. Now, um, because they have removed the home button and they've removed the chin, they had to put their fingerprint sensor somewhere. The fingerprint sensor was previously built into the home button, so they put it on the back of the phone. Which I think we spoke about this a couple of times, especially me and Stephen, as we've tried Android phones that have this. The back of the phone is a perfectly fine place. In some ways, a nicer place to have the fingerprint sensor. However, Samsung put it next to the camera, which is like directly next to the camera lens, which is a really weird and kind of bad idea because it's not in the center of the phone. So if you hold Mm -hmm. your phone in your left hand, it's going to be basically impossible to reach it. And it's also a little kind of glass smooth panel, which is next to directly another glass smooth panel. So people are just going to be rubbing their fingers against their um, the, the camera all the time, just smudging it all up. Like I, I think that like located in the middle of the back of the phone is a perfectly valid thing. I'm still putting my bets on that's where Apple's Touch ID goes in this next phone. Um, but I think Samsung made a bad mistake with with putting it right next to the camera. I think that's super super stupid. Yeah, I I don't get the uh, the placement in the back next to the camera. It just it looks bad, and I think in practice it's gonna it's gonna just it won't work well. Uh, but I gotta say, um, it does look impressive. Like overall, uh, the idea of embracing uh, this screen so much, I think it's super clever, and and it looks fantastic. We were. Uh, watching the news a few days ago, and these Samsung commercials are all over the place for the S8 and the S8 Plus. And Sylvia, she saw the commercial and she said, "Well, so Samsung is doing it first, uh, you know, the screen, the the all yeah. screen thing." There's a perception, I think, uh, that uh, phones are moving to this idea of it's a screen that you hold in your hands, and and Samsung is, you know, sort of by pushing these phones to be first, at least not necessarily first technically, but the first big brand and big launch to have this feature before Apple and the iPhone, I think it's a great move. I still believe that Apple is going to do more than this. It's going to be like sort of similar to what Andy, Ru- Andy Rubin is uh, teasing with the essential Android phone. It's going to be all screen, no, uh, you know, no chin, no... Uh, even small bezel at the top and the bottom. I think Apple wants to do like like an insane screen to body ratio. And if you follow the rumors, if you follow what especially what uh, KJ uh, KGI has been saying in terms of screen resolution and stuff, it does look like Apple wants to go beyond what Samsung has been doing. But that's a rumor, and Samsung is shipping this phone, and that's impressive. So. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna buy a Samsung S8, but it does look great. And I think I'll if you're you in the I market for, about. yeah, I tell you what, I wonder about is it? I wonder if it's gonna look better if it's just like super, super slim, super slim bezels, 
as opposed to the way that Samsung's curves. I wonder what will look better. Because I really like that yeah. curve, you know? I do. But I also think looking fro- at the photo that Andy Rubin has uh, tweeted and also looking at the that Xiaomi phone from a few months ago, yeah, yeah. I think even the super thin bezel looks great because it oh, truly it g- gives you the idea of this is just a screen. Even if it doesn't yeah. curve, I think it looks fantastic. Oh, it looks incredible. They do. They all, like the LG one we were talking about a couple of weeks as well. But like, I, I think maybe I'm a little bit more partial to the to the screen curving, right? Because I've been talking about these Samsung phones for ages. Like, I think that they look incredible. I just think it's so 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 interesting that in in 2017, Samsung is is iterating their hardware design faster than Apple. Like that's really interesting to me. I don't know if I would have believed that if you would have told me that four or five years ago. Apple's been busy building a new Mac Pro. That's true. That's true. That is true. So, I I mean, you know. I spent some time with the S7 Edge uh, last year, and the the curves are nice. I think they photograph better than they are in real life a little bit. You get some light refraction and stuff. It does seem like this new design is less raked than the S7 Edge was, so uh, maybe they can reduce that glare and reduce the sort of uh, optical weirdness you have at the edges. But... Yeah, either way, it looks... I mean, this phone instantly makes the iPhone design language look old. Like, just yeah, so shockingly old. fast. Mm-hmm. The software... I mean, it's, it's still it's still not like straight up Android, right? Like they they still put their skin on it. Still um, kind of gro- still kind of gross. <laughs> I think it looks though. okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the the walkthroughs that I've seen, I think it looks fine. Like Mm-mm. it look there's some nice design about it. Like it's it's not like it used to be where it was pebbles and water everywhere, right? Like it. I think it looks. I think it looks fine. I think it looks fine. I mean, I I feel like I would prefer stock Android just because I know it's there and like because that's what I'm used to with iOS, right? Like I feel like oh I, I would want stock, but I mean Samsung put some interesting stuff into their phones, like in the Note lens with the, what they do with the pens and stuff like that. Like they they add a bunch of bloat, but they do add some interesting features as well, I guess. Yeah, and and they have been better about updating than they have been in the past. Like currently, I think you go back two generations and you're still on Android 7.0. So I think that argument is is less of a, a point than it once was. I think for me, thinking about stock Android versus something like this is not necessarily the skin because you know you can replace the launcher and stuff, but having uh, a bunch of apps like bundled apps that I don't want, like Samsung in particular, like duplicates a lot of Android apps and. Uh, that, that kind of get in your way. You can hide some of them on some phones and you can get rid of some of them. But uh, I still think, again, from, a, from being an iPhone user for, you know, m- the majority of the time the iPhone has been out, uh, I would want stock. But the uh, the hardware is really compelling. And, you know, I, I'm curious, too, to see what Google does with this, with the Pixel 2, you know, which they have said is coming. We'll see if they, if mm-hmm. they, if they you know, what they do there. Uh, the current Pixel, you know, it's a great phone, but the industrial design is is uh, pretty mediocre at, at best, I think. And you could see Google really pushing on this as well, and you know, this this ushering in sort of a new a new chapter in smartphone industrial design, at least on the high end. And to your point, it's one that Samsung is leading the way on, and not Apple. And 
if you look at maybe what the next couple of years are going to look like, Samsung will be the company that was there first and, and not the iPhone, which is just, it's a big change of pace. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of amazing audio content from thrilling novels to fascinating nonfiction to content from newspapers and magazines. If you want it, Audible has got it. Whether you're looking to add a little more excitement to your commute or you're finding a way to make laundry more bearable, you need look no further than Audible. They make you a, they make your commute more exciting and your chores more appealing. And with a great audiobook to help you fill the time, you'll be looking for excuses to wash some dishes. Mr. Stephen Hackett, I believe that you have a book recommendation for the connected audience today. I do. So I just uh, recently finished a, a book about Elon Musk. It is named, it's really easy to find, Elon Musk. Uh, talking about <laughs> got that good SEO there. Yeah, that book, right, right on target. It's talking about his background and PayPal and Tesla and SpaceX and just his like his eye for the future. And it's uh, it's great because it, it is all filtered through. You know, can like if America is like the nation of inventors, like is Elon Musk this new generation of inventors, new generation of entrepreneur, uh, and and filters his basically his life story. Through that lens, uh, written by Ashley Vance, and uh, it's just great. It, you don't have to be a SpaceX or a Tesla fan to appreciate what this guy has done and and what he's doing, and his vision for the future and the ability to execute on that is just it's just unmatched right now. I think. So that is a a great recommendation, but of course you can choose anything from Audible, not just uh, the books that Stephen recommends, even though I'm sure he recommends all of the great books. You can't make more time, but you can make the most of it. Turn your chores into something more with a free trial at Audible. Go to audible.com to find out more and start your trial today. Thanks to Audible for their support of this very program. Cool. So uh, back the end of March, we've pun of this a couple of weeks, but uh, I crossed my 10 year anniversary on Twitter. So I wrote this thing about it. I, I found my first tweet. Uh, all it is, is laying out the paper in college. I worked at my college newspaper as uh, the news editor. One of my jobs was designing the actual pages. Kids used to get your, your news the next day on dead trees. It was crazy. Uh, I have that skill completely useless now, but uh, so I kind of just like combed through my Twitter history and wrote this thing about it. And, you know, anytime you have an anniversary, at least if you're sentimental like me, you you try to think about what it means, right? Like, okay, I've spent a decade, you know, I'm 31. I've spent a third of my life, you know, putting thoughts and words into the universe, 140 characters at a time. And that is super depressing and silly. But Twitter is a meaningful part of our culture. And not just like, nerd culture but like out in the world like you watch espn and like you know there's there's little things about you know what athletes are tweeting you know our president spends time on twitter and every time he tweets there's a news story about it twitter is a thing it is a a part of our culture and for me at least i owe a lot to it you know many of the amazing people that we work with on relay my first interactions were on twitter so i embedded in my blog post the first time that i could find mike and i interacting on uh, on twitter uh, i believe that i wrote a blog post linking to his enough podcast with patrick crone at the time and you tweeted me a thanks and said hey i'll be in touch about a brochure appearance and then i was on your show and now we have company together it's crazy right uh, and that was only 6 years ago uh, which is just bananas. But 
so many people I work with and so many people who are important to me, I've met on Twitter. And that is just really something, you know. Uh, I didn't embed it, uh, but the first time Jason Snell and I interacted, uh, he called me out on something that I wrote in response to a piece he had on Macworld. And he disagreed with me, and we had a back and forth, and he changed my mind. And so I updated my blog post, and he said thanks. Like, a super meaningful interaction from a guy who I, who I continue to look up to, and, uh, and you know, now we, we work together. And Twitter is really unique in that, at least for people our age, at least for, you know, like, I think to speak to all three of us, like, we owe a lot of our careers to Twitter. But at the same time, like, Twitter is deeply flawed, and the company seems to be really good at making really bad decisions. Just this last week, they, like, broke replies for everybody, and, like, no one knows how they work anymore. Uh, unless you keep using TweetBot, Twitterific, and things just work the way they always have. But for now, and Twitter feels really fragile, like, the type, the version of Twitter that the three of us use and people who use third-party apps, like, that feels increasingly fragile and increasingly, like, it's just going to go away uh, the whole company could go away. They're not doing well financially. Leadership seems like a revolving door. There's lots of problems. They have huge harassment issues. And instead of dealing with that, they change the default logo from eggs to a human blob. But they say, oh, eggs have been associated with, with uh, you know, uh, abuse and terrorism on Twitter. It's like, well, no, it's the people. And it's the fact that you don't have a way to filter the stuff that works. You don't have a way to authenticate people as real humans. And so people just write garbage on your service all day. Twitter is deeply fought. Twitter is deeply problematic, and that makes me sad because it's important to me. And I'm very curious to know about the two, what the two of you guys think about Twitter, and mm. and like, is there any hope for it, or like, are we all just going to use Man's thing, and that's going to be where we mm. hang out now? So I still use Twitter every day, and um, and I do owe a lot to Twitter. You know, uh, like you, and and I think Mike as well. I made some amazing connections. I met, you know, most of my, what I consider my friends uh, via Twitter first. Um, and over the years, I, you know, whether it was for personal relationships or for, you know, being in touch with uh, readers of my website, especially after we removed comments from Max Stories several years ago. Man, remember when comments were a thing? Wow. Remember one comment and where people would get upset that you would remove comments. Um so yeah, it's a, it's been an incredible uh tool, but um I'm kind of down on it lately and um and of course what I'm going to mention here is, you know, it it pales in comparison to the problems that other people and that women especially had on Twitter in terms of abuse and harassment and that's, you know, uh Possibly the biggest mistake that Twitter has done as a company is not to address those those issues for years. Um, but from my limited personal and I, and I should say privileged perspective, um, it just feels like something has changed in terms of, and maybe it's just my followers. I don't know, but it it does feel like. There's a in this community of you know this very narrow community of people with an interest in in technology and in what Apple does. So it's a community within a community in, in Twitter. It feels like there's a lot more complaining every single day, um, and it maybe just me growing older and more cynical. I don't know, but it does feel like whenever something happens. 
a lot of people start replying to you and pile on to each other with some negative comments. And it just feels like it's more of that every single day. And um, it, ju- it and it feels to me like from, from my personal point of view, in terms of how does it feel to use Twitter? And I don't, like I find myself double and triple checking every time I compose a tweet and I stop midway and, uh, and I'm like, do I really need to share this? How many replies am I going to get? So I feel a lot more self-conscious about it. And I, and I feel that way because I know that it's going to make someone unhappy and that someone is going to reply to me and other people are going to see the reply. And so it's just going to be a mess and I feel bad about it and I just won't open Twitter for a while. Mm-hmm. And maybe this comes with the territory in the sense that when you get X amount of followers, yes. you expose yourself to this kind of be- human behavior. It happens this is what on- I was just about to say. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is a um, Twitter's changed problem exactly. for you. So I, I think it is the problem of somebody who has 50,000 Twitter followers. It is a byproduct. It is maybe a byproduct of that exposure because I'm, you know, once again, I feel so conflicted about it because on one hand, it is the the second biggest source of traffic and that has contributed to, you know, that sort of growing audience that has brought me to this point. So it's not like I want to, you know, I want to say, well, Twitter has always been bad to me. It just feels like, and maybe I had forgotten this from my days spent in the internet forums, the same ones where uh, Craig hangs out. Uh, maybe I had forgotten forums, from things. those yeah. days that you know people tend to be aggressive, people tend to be negative, people tend to complain. It's just how the internet works. But uh, especially in the past year, I've felt that way again with Twitter, and I don't like it. And so I'm trying to tweet less. I'm trying to tweet only when necessary. Um, and also because I've, I'm, I've noticed, you know, when I, when I don't open TweetBot, when I don't open Twitter, when I stay focused, I get a lot more done. Uh, and that was also the result of tracking my time with Toggle and looking at the time that I spent on Twitter. I knew that I needed to cut on that time. So I have very mixed feelings about it. I think Twitter as an idea is amazing. Twitter as a company is a mess, and my personal usage of Twitter has decreased over the years, especially mm-hmm. in the past few months. I want to like Twitter more, but it, I maybe just need to accept that my what I'm going to see on Twitter is never going to be what I used to see, you know, four years ago, five years ago. And maybe I'm just struggling to accept that. Um, I th- I think I sit somewhere in the middle of all of it, and the way the the bo- how you both feel, and I kind of think of um two twitters, Twitter with a capital T and Twitter with a lowercase T. You know, lowercase T Twitter is the thing that I the service I joined ten years ago, where I met all the people that I work with now, where I get to have meaningful and interesting conversations and, and, and debates with listeners and stuff like that. And I get I get what you're saying, Federico, um, and there are times where things can feel a little bit overwhelming, but I, I really do believe that the issue that you are having is a is a is an issue of of scale, just personally. 
you know, that, that mm-hmm. there's just more people, more and more people every day that want to talk to you. And as is normal, like with because this is how humans are, um, the things that are bad outweigh the things that are good in your brain, even if there that are less true. of them. That is true. The show is becoming very analog right now. Casey would fit in great in this discussion. Um, but the big T Twitter is is a problem, right? The company, you know, like Stephen, I think you did a good job of summing all of that up. Like they seem to have functional problems from just an organizational perspective and just as a product perspective. But small T Twitter is an important thing to me. It's like a list of people that I've cultivated over 10 years. Like I learn from them. It makes me laugh. Like it's an important part of my online life. It's a way that I get feedback about the work that I do. It's a place for me to share ideas. Like it's very important. And if it went away, I'd be sad. But with what I use it for, like and and what really means something to me, I'm very confident that there would be something else that I could replace it with because the people that I follow, I think, care about that having that service as much as I do and, and people would move. And I think if you were building from the ground up, you could make a different experience. It maybe wouldn't be as good in some ways and it would be better in others. But like I, I, I've taken times where I've taken breaks on Twitter and it's helped kind of put things into perspective for me that I I don't need it to live, right? Like even though it's something that I spend so much of my time on, it's not it's easy to be to replace with other things, right? You just I just log into RSS and, you know, log into whatever servers I'm using and get my news that way, right? And then just text people. Um I mean you lose a lot, but you don't lose everything. And I would be really sad if Twitter goes away, but I would be so much happier if it could be fixed and it can be fixed by somebody else or it can be fixed by them, I don't care. But like I, I think there's a lot that needs to to change. Um but it is something that's so important in my life that I will continue to use it every day because I enjoy what I get out of it, you know? And and I don't owe any, you know, I know that you didn't mean this, Stephen, but like you kind of said you owe, you feel like you owe a lot to Twitter. Like it's not the company. And I know you're not saying that. Yeah, it's right, the, but it's the community. People. It's the community. It's the community that we owe something to, right? You know? Totally. It's the people that 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 help and and move you along, and and that community is gonna gonna move whether it's on the forum of all things or whether it's <laughs> here on on Twitter or whether it's gonna be, you know, if it's gonna go and be on Manson's service, right? Like the the microblogging service that he's working on, like, it, or if you know App.net spins up again, right? Like it doesn't, <laughs> you know, it, wherever it's gonna be, it's the community will continue, and that's all I care about. I just hope that the community that we're a part of has places to continue to have the creative outlet. Um, I don't think Twitter needs to be it. It's ten I years also, old now. I I just need to say this. I I don't feel like you know where we we have a I have an English website. We talk in English on the podcast, and we tend to follow British, Canadian, American, Australian people. You know, people who speak English. We tend mm-hmm. to follow, and so it's inevitable. I think with the current political scenario that there's some, you know, a, a, a lot of people. I don't want to say everyone because we disagree, but a lot of people are not feeling great about what is going on in the world lately. And so I think it's only natural that, uh, you yeah. know, when I say uh, everyone seems so negative, I think that that's also a consequence of what's going on around us. And maybe my, maybe my takeaway is not just about Twitter, but it's just, you know, as a society lately, we're not living our best years you know, as as people on Earth, it's not our brightest moment, and that is, you know, hopefully it's something that will pass, 
or maybe we're just setting setting ourselves up for being doomed. I don't know. Uh, but whatever it is, I, 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 you know, I think we used to live in brighter times. Hey, look, I'm I'm becoming like Steven, man. This is concerning. Wow. Uh, yeah. Next thing you know, I'm gonna buy a performer. Should uh, all of them. <laughs> Is there some multiple ones, actually? I didn't know that. Hmm. If you want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 136. Um, we do actually all love you, you know, a lot, and uh, we want to hear from you. And you can you can contact us via Twitter. I think it would be better than uh, better than email anyway, right? I think we could all agree on that. Like emails, email is worse than Twitter. Um, and you can find us at uh, I am I Mike I M Y K E Federico is at Vitici V I T I C C I. But you probably already follow Federico because he has like a million followers. Everyone does. And also, um, everyone I, just I, like, I, I don't. I really don't. He has collected all of the internet um, in, <laughs> in his in his beautiful arms. Um, and Stephen is at ISMH on Twitter. Uh, Stephen writes at fivetoepixels.net. Federico writes at maxstories.net. I want to take one more moment to thank our sponsors for this week, Hover, Casper, and Audible. We'll be back next time. I, I don't think I will be, actually. I'm going uh, to be at the All Conference. If you're there, come and say hello. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios. <laughs>